0: Go ahead and open up a tab and go to badchristiancon.com and uh, you'll see what we got going on there and most of the announcements are coming later of course but I'll tell you that this year's topic, this year's theme is you don't need permission to change your mind and that's in no particular direction but Trust me, you don't. You can change what you believe and think. And we're going to be talking about that and featuring guests and panels and discussions and breakout groups and parties... And uh, you're going to love it So get your tickets now And we're going to give you a preview of it Kind of by showing you a good t- thing that happened last year At Bad Christian Con That was Pete Enns came And he gave a talk that we thought we would love to feature here on the podcast But before that, Toby and Joey will you know, do our normal shtick And then we'll kick it to Pete Inns And you'll get a taste of what we had going on at the conference last year
1: showed up. I don't give a shit what I put in my body. You don't ever f- talk to me that way.
0: <laughs> so if you've never done oral, then you're extroverted. No, girl, it's my flesh. I, you're I showed showing my you
1: dad me. my penis when I was 25 years old.
2: You don't get more honest than that. 3, two, 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 one, one, one. <laughs> 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 I love cool. not emphasizing syllables or uh, consonants. Yeah, I love, love or vowels. Well, big creepy pocket. That is good. I love saying. I, I wish. <laughs> I wish clearly, all
0: right, the name of this podcast was Big Crib Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, That's this so is a, much a, better. We thought we'd kick everybody an extra episode here because we're celebrating the opening mm. of the uh, Bad Christian Conference tickets up to the general yeah. public starting now. Go <laughs> hurry. Bad Christian, uh, what is the website? bccon.com is the website. and I, there's Bad, bad com. Go kick it right now. It's a mad race to get your tickets for this I built the site out. myself.
1: Get your little asses over there and purchase them tickets. It's
2: $50 dollars off.
0: Quick. It's $50 off. And I'm
1: super, I'm right
0: super jazz-like. Wait, hold on, Matt. Did you just say $50 off? $50 off. Right now, right now? you get $50
2: off.
0: Yep, that's right. It's, <laughs> still, it's early bird to the general public. The people in the, that are in the BC Club have already had their chance, and now there are some tickets left, But and they are still $50 what? off. Early bird version. they will be $50 more in the future, and I'm not going to tell you when, but. Why am I concerned that I believe that people that listen to this
2: podcast have never been early birds? <laughs>
3: well, that's
2: well, we're definitely people that listen to this show. <laughs> yeah, no. I don't. I wouldn't call them early bird go getters, get the stuff <laughs>
1: quick. You're so, right about that.
2: just once in your life, if you're out there listening, you're sitting there in your car in traffic or whatever it might be.
0: Just early bird it. This I think of time. early bird as the uh it's when old folks and people that like to eat at supper at four thirty get a discount at the hibachi. Right. <laughs> My dad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
2: they, they they go at four thirty right. <laughs> so they can get the deal. They'll eat dinner at For so
0: steak and shrimp at the hibachi if you go if you go at four thirty. Right. Hey, well, the,
1: these folks actually joined the club recently, and the reason why that is actually relevant to this discussion is they have the opportunity to get a BCCon ticket for $50 off. You can go to thebcclub.com. Well, everybody has that opportunity get right get extra now. podcast. Yeah, episode. everybody has that That's opportunity. That's what we just covered in the last yes, two ju- and a half minutes is that. that
0: everybody gets $50 off starting right now.
1: Oh, I what? just I just thought these guys got an extra fifty dollars. No. no, no, not an
0: additional fifty dollars <laughs> off. You already no. had your chance. The people that you're yeah, read, you read the bat- names clearly,
1: you do not get an extra tickets. fifty dollars. <laughs> well, anyway, we love you guys, and y'all get an extra podcast episode. You're gonna some of these people get the new Emory for podcast free. Have episodes they already, have, mm-hmm. have they already gotten the Emory yep. for free? When does that come? Oh okay. well, so, yeah, they did. All right, so thank you guys, Aaron Minton, Scott. Beicher, Travis, sorry, Chris Branscom, Daniel Litz, Joshua McDonald, Zachary Dale, Ivy, Deborah Lehman, Matthew Ennis, Joshua Spencer, Brenton, Wins- Wayne Scott, Danny, Edg- Edge, Edginton, Shurian yep, George, right. Juan, Lewis, Mendoza, r- <laughs> Raya Dickerson, Gary, Sleep, Stephen Hill, uh, Ty- Talia Starland Wow. Bradley Smith and <laughs> Jacob Hempel. I it. promise you, sometimes when you read the names,
2: I think he is not speaking
1: English.
2: <laughs> it is just not English. I, at can all.
1: we have normal We don't have normal names joining the BC Club. We just don't. Where's the John Smith and they're, the Robert Bradley and the Susan Johnson?
2: All, all hardcore conservative Damn. Christians that hate this podcast. Hey, let right? me let me uh, We get the people that were named strangely and they
1: they're like, yeah, I've always been on the outside. They're I'm Toby outsiders. Morale. <laughs> yeah. Hey, let me tell y'all something that I, I really feel like God's presence shone on me the other day. I yeah. went to Conway, South Carolina. Some of you know that that is an area in the Myrtle Beach area of South Carolina that just got completely uh, flooded by one of the hurricanes. I forgot which yeah. one it was. Um, But anyway, we went and did some relief efforts through Seacoast. And y'all listen to how beautiful this was. And I was the only person sitting there to experience it. And then I've got a question for y'all. But listen to this. I I sat down to have lunch with two people. And I asked them, I said, hey, how are you guys doing? And one person literally, I was like, I can't believe they're going there. They said, man, I just feel lost right now. Or just like life is just hard I just don't really know what to do. I mean, I'm sorry that I'm saying this, but that's just how I feel and everything. The other person chimed in, and they were not joking. They were not joking. They literally said, "I totally like they were halfway paying attention. They said, totally understand what you're saying, man. I had to use my GPS to like get around. And... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and so, so the person who was like emotionally lost, let it go. Let they let, told it it let it go, didn't let it go. <laughs> and I sure as hell let it go. I just sat there and just soaked it in. I could not believe what, what, that happened right in front of me. Oh my! I God. mean, the person like, literally said, "Yeah, me too." I had to use my GPS. It's cool. Like, had it, It's a hard play. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Super vulnerable moment. And yes. it was like, okay, I'm just going to let. I'm so not that even, person, right. they
0: didn't know. They really, it was over their head. Like they just totally missed the context? They had to have just or,
1: been halfway paying attention. They heard lost and they're like, oh, I got to respond. Yeah, 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 totally. Yeah. No, don't even think about I it. I've to been use lost my before. GPS. I had to use. I've been lost before
3: too. Oh, I've been lost. Oh I mean, my any, God. Oh my any <laughs>
1: other
0: personality, that person would have said, Right. Are you not listening? Did
3: the
1: person
0: before? not look at you to, to be like, did you hear you hear this guy? I probably looked down. <laughs> 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 so you're
1: sitting there with a the pastor at, uh, I was humiliated for that person. <laughs> oh man, stuff like that is so crazy. That is hilarious. Hey, so, so, hey, so let me let me ask y'all something, because this I, I believe that the whole That's good. Um The whole movement for recognizing inequality and all that stuff is wonderful. It's good. Uh, I've learned a lot from uh, a lot of the, the stuff that's just, you know, there is a movement. It's bigger than it's been in a long time, and it is good, but I do think that there are some Unhelp these symptoms, and I'm going to tell you one right now, and I want you guys to agree or disagree. Like if it you gets too
0: this, equal, that'll be a problem in your view. nope nope don't mean that. You'll know what I'm. <laughs> you, you'll
1: you'll get All it right. once I give the example. So part of the relief effort, what we do is we CCO's partnered up with Christ in Action, and Christ in Action is an organization that specializes in going into flooded houses and they rip up drywall and flooring that cannot be salvaged, and so that's a huge help to the owner. Uh, especially a lot of people that are not insured, is they don't have to worry about getting any of that stuff. Now, we don't rebuild. We just go in, do the demo. It is a lot of work. It's super hard. So we did three houses in a row, and all three houses happened to be white household. Caucasians. (laughs) Caucasians. (laughs) Caucasians. and were sneezed. And there was actually someone who came to me and said... In a very cynical, offended way, and this was a white person, and yep. they looked at me and they said, wow, we sure handpicked who we're helping, huh? And I said, "I seriously, I didn't know what they were talking about. I said, what, what do you mean? They're like three white families? They said that? Yes. So this person was insinuating- And how long did it we take went, to do the three? Like that was all in the first
0: few hours or day? Wow. It was three days. Uh-huh. Three,
1: three days. Yeah. We did one house a day. Uh-huh. So- We're talking thousands of people who need help. Right. A lot of them were white people. Yeah. What are the chances that the first three are white? Right. A huge chance. Right. And this person insinuated that we had handpicked to help white people. To me, that is just not healthy. That's, That's not critical thinking. That it 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 just sounded preposterous, but does that make me a bad person for thinking you are insane? That's just because the organization—they, of course, we help black people. Are you kidding me? Right. To me, that's just too far. Well, it's just really
2: ridiculous. It's just something to try to complain about and say say something as if she. I say she. I don't know if (laughs) he or she. uh, Was it? Was it? guy or was a girl. it a he or a she? white male okay white male yep ah oh, those bastards they're the worst <laughs> they're the fucking worst um that dude just wanted to complain and say something as if it was you, like your fault or this organization's fault and he would have done something differently right you know what i mean like that that is just mm. it's so dumb like it, he has no responsibility in it or and you can't just help people like right. uh, of course at this exact same time, if it would have been in three black families or three Mexican families, Spanish families, whatever. He wouldn't have had he, any problem with it. Yeah. And you wouldn't have either. Nobody would have. Right. You wouldn't have cared. You're just taking your time to try and help anybody.
1: Well, it's I mean, it's almost like there was something in him that didn't think it was as helpful that they were white people. Like it was like there's right. something in him that was just like we'd be doing a lot better job helping black people That's to me is a slap in the face to black people. Yeah. What they need help more. And and, and I get it. I do get inequality and I do get that there needs to be something done about it, but it's better to help a black person than a white person. Aren't aren't we all people? I I hate that part of the white guilt
2: that almost diminishes uh, the strength, the smarts, the intelligence, uh, the, 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 the all the good stuff of being somebody that's not white like that that is what i hate a lot of times white guilt says uh black people can't help themselves or you know uh mexicans and immigrants or whoever's coming into our country can't help themselves we have to help them because we it implies that we're this uh benevolent almost better race that is not true Uh, The biggest thing you want to do is help empower everybody to be their best. Not say, I have to help them because they can't. That that almost diminishes and seems racist to me.
1: Yeah, and I I saw someone tweet recently, and it really made me think. This person said something along the lines of, we need to speak up for black women. We need to help black women. We need to understand black women. Black women, black women, black women. I was like, okay, I like I like your heart in recognizing maybe a demographic that, that, but I said, you didn't include in there how strong black women are. Right. Like that is a very integral part of this whole, and it's very incomplete for you not to say that. And I I had a complete mental shift. I was like, how dare you? Do you know what black women go through? Do you know what they right. have gone through? Do you know how many single mothers have raised unbelievable kids right. and how hard that was? And you, uh, a white middle class person, is going to say, "Hey, you need me. You need me to speak right. out for you." I mean, and I understand there's a fine line. I understand both sides, but I, I i i it's just it's getting overboard, and it's getting scary. And to me, it's it's a matter of people lacking critical thinking.
0: Skills. I, I to th- like, go a slightly different it. take oh, on her. it, and i do I do Uh-oh. agree with you that that's silly. Um, And Toby said this before. I don't think we need to go into it, but pay attention. Toby said this a long time ago. I think he's going to turn out to be right, and we'll just watch and see. But I think Think white women— Everybody's getting a divorce? White (laughs) women are going to be a group that's somewhat of a target, you know, and maybe rightly so because they can be very obnoxious. I don't know. But it seems like there may be some sights set on them and differentiating kind of almost what you were just getting at there. But that's not even what I was going to say. To me, what I— think the motivation behind the person that made that comment which was a a man um but i think what behind that motivation is a real fear and a social signaling that's not i don't think he was indignant about race i don't even believe that's almost any part of it i don't think he i don't think that almost plays into it i think it's a fear of uh alignment of like who you have to say it's like a I think people are anxious and nervous and afraid of the, the tides changing, and they are anxious to be on the right side. So they just say what they think needs to be said so that as different groups come into power and different new social norms are there, they're beyond criticism. That's an insurance policy for that person. Right. He's going to make sure that if anybody says anything, it's not him. He's throwing you. He's throwing under people under the bus because he's a scared person. That is right. what that is what I hear in that type of behavior. It's like yeah, that, I just yeah. want to make sure everybody knows, like you know, go, I don't know, just keep me out of it because here I am. I said it should. Maybe we should have had some black people. Exactly. You hear that all the time yeah. now, and it's. I don't think there's any good-hearted motivation behind it whatsoever. It's just a selfish it try signal. I'm mean, just trying to get. It's just a you know trying to get in with the right crowd, making sure that you're not a target or covering or, or, all your bases. Yeah, right. It's just yeah. covering your bases. One one hundred
2: percent. Now he gets to say, "Oh, yep, I, I told him. I, if if anybody says anything, right. I told him. Yeah, why aren't we helping other people it, now? You know, and just but, to feel good about it,
0: yourself. I mean, he felt better about himself after he said it, no right. doubt, right? Oh, right, one hundred percent. But the thing that bothers me is, I what's so tough about this and this climate, and this
2: cultural climate we live in is, I do agree. I think uh, minorities in general have been given a not a fair shake." Yeah. I think the majority always dominates uh unfortunately the minority, and it isn't no nobody's been given a fair shake, so I want to do things that help race relations. I want to do things that uh help people in minorities uh people in my, in minorities promote to... equality
1: yes, exactly,
2: yeah. and so I agree but at the same time, I hate this guilt blame complex that everybody's trying to give each other. That doesn't actually help anybody right. At all I mean it, it doesn't help anybody It only creates platforms It does not create change And that's what I hate that, that, That's the things that really bother me And you have to be very careful Because people are trying to create their own platform And if you get on the uh, attached to the wrong person You're going to be associated with somebody That isn't about actual equality Or justice or help They're about themselves yeah, And, positioning, that's really and posturing
0: is the game really dangerous Really dangerous Yep That's funny, Joey, especially with the GPS thing. Oh, the GPS thing's unbelievable.
1: Hey, we got a treat for you today. One of my favorite authors who I've learned a lot from, Pete Inns. he was one of our speakers at the BCCon 2018. So I believe this is somewhat representative of what you can expect at 2019, except Please don't think that the conferences are a bunch of speakers one after the other. It was actually an exception. Uh, I think we only had like two people get up there and do like a, a solo speaking deal. But this is definitely worth sharing. It's really awesome. This is Pete N's BCCon 2018. But before we do that, I want to talk about Silent Planet.
3: Mother The heavens making the clouds and past lives. Trumping
1: Alright, you are listening to The New Eternity, which is the newest single from Silent Planets. So this song is the final single from their new album, which is coming out November 2nd, and it's called When the End Began. This week, November 2nd, it's coming out. These guys are headlining a tour right now with Stray from the Path, Kublai Khan, and Greyhaven. So check to see if they're coming through your town this November. And then through November and December, they're going to be hanging out in Europe touring. So make sure to check if they'll be playing near you. Head over to Spotify, Apple Music, or wherever you stream or buy music and listen to The New Eternity right now. And hey, make sure to follow Silent Planet's profile so you'll know the second that When The End Began is live. When The End Began hits the world on November the 2nd, this Friday, and it's Silent Planet's best work yet. Trust us on this one. Don't miss it.
3: I think I'm the oldest person here, and I'm very intimidated right now. All these young, alert people in front of me. Um, I teach college students. They're not always alert, but they're young. And uh, if you start texting and ignoring me, I'll I'll, I'll feel at home. So go right ahead. You know, and there's no test anyway, so I can't do anything. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the guys asked me to come and talk a little bit about. Uh, doubt, which is sort of a sexy title, a lot of people are talking about that and uh it's not that <laughs> you know it's 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 pretty serious for a lot of people, especially like i mean Jen just gave a great talk about you know that movement from certainty to something else and when your faith is unraveling right and and uh it's 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 you know it's just common i think actually let me I'll talk about myself in a minute, my favorite topic. But let me let's let's get to you first. Uh, I'm really wondering: Have any of you here ever experienced? I mean, a deep unsettling of your faith, and I don't mean like you know the Lord didn't give me the parking spot at the mall or some crap like. That. I mean, actually, like my life is dark, right? Raise your hand. I, I I really would like to. I mean, a lot. Oh well, that's why you're here, right? I mean, this is. This is just pretty interesting, you know? And, and think, when you think about... I mean, think about Christianity for a second, okay? <laughs> it's an old story, right? It's an ancient story that's founded in an ancient book that reads like an ancient book. Who here has read the Bible? <sighs> a lot of you, right? Just are you tired of the Bible, too? So, yeah. Um, you know, the time of David, roughly about 1000 BC. We're as far removed backwards from that time as we're removed forwards from, to the year 5000. And that to me just puts perspective on this. So, you know, this idea of, of doubting and having issues and questions, that's gonna happen if it's rooted in this antiquity. You know, and we're not ancient people anymore, right? And we can't help when we were born where we were born. We can't help what influences we have. We're just people trying to figure stuff out, right? So um, I'm actually, I'm I'm very interested in this. This is, I'm not just saying this, this is a connecting time for me too. You know, I I like being with misfits because I feel that way too. You know, uh, don't tell my employer because they write my paycheck every month. Yeah, keep going. Um, But I mean, what, what sorts of things because i got a list of them. What sorts of things were difficult for you as you're processing your faith? What sorts of things came up, issues, that made you just think, this is just a bunch of nonsense, this faith that I was raised with? I'd really like to know that. Like how we got our Bible. Yeah. Inerrancy. Who? Canaanites dying, yes, and God saying to do it. So, yeah, what else? Violence, right? Like divine violence, right, in the Bible. Mistreatment from our pastor boss. What was it? Mistreatment from our pastor boss. Yeah. Predestination. What, a, what is it? Predestination. Predestination? Yeah. Inconsistencies. Right. Inconsistencies in the Bible, or just the Christian faith, or Christians, <laughs> everything. <laughs> Inconsistency. hatred love. Right. Hell. Our own Hell. Huh? Our own capacity. What? Well, explain that. Well, as far as how, how do we know how much. Oh, right? yeah, of course, yeah. How do we know? What do we know? Who killed Goliath? Who killed Goliath? <laughs> uh, it depends on what you read, right, in the Bible. So, yeah, talk about inconsistencies, yeah. how how are we or how can we be so certain, how can we be so certain right just the book that wrote? that's right right how much of our uh, understanding of the bible and god is all subjective right i'm going to say all of it and i mean that sincerely but that's a very good question because we're not taught to think that way are we we're taught to think it has to have an objective root and this is god smiling at us Fine, I'll give you a book. Awesome. Thank you for the answers. It's going to contradict itself, and you're all screwed, right? (laughs) So, you know, you you, can't—the Bible deconstructs itself, right? It actually deconstructs some of that way of thinking, which, again, I think is like, this is either a really bad book or a really good one, right? That sort of— you know, it's, it's you know, uh, Richard Dawkins, uh, you know, Richard Dawkins, a famous atheist, he, uh, I've heard him say this, I don't know where it was, on TV or something, where someone was asking him, uh, I'd like to become an atheist, and can you help me, like, give me some reading material? And he said, yeah, read the Bible, <laughs> which is true if you're taught to approach it a certain way, right? And I think a lot of the issues here that people struggle with, are actually things about the text and how the text functions in the life of the church. And, you know, all we have is this Bible, or how can we believe, because this has to be the objective anchor. And this is why, I mean, I'm not really planning on solving this today, you know, because it is a journey, and I think it's something that we have to process. But um, I, Methodists have a really good handle on this sort of thing. And I think so do Episcopalians. We have one Methodist here. Yeah, <laughs> the quadrilateral. Yeah. <laughs> the, well, the quadrilateral. The, I mean, uh, how many of you have heard of the Wesleyan quadrilateral? Yeah, a lot of you have, and you need to. It's, just, it's very, very helpful to me that, you know, where does theological knowledge come from? Where does knowledge of God come from? It comes from, I hope I remember them all, Scripture, certainly, But our experience, right? And our tradition that we're a part of. And also, I love this last one, because this is the thing that really makes some people very nervous, but it's good. It's our ability to reason, right? And that's where a lot of the questions come out of, you know? So we have traditions we're a part of, and we have our own experiences. I mean, how many of us have changed our way of thinking about God based on our experiences, Right? I have absolutely all the time. In fact, I can't think of a better reason to change what you believe other than experience. But of course, what if some of you who have been church in certain contexts? I know what you're thinking. It's like everyone's always told me it can't be rooted in subjective experience. Well, not to get philosophical, but give me an example of something that's not subjective experience. The Bible, oh okay, <laughs> that's easy. Let's just read it together and come up with 44,000 denominations, like James said, <laughs> right? And, and what if God is real, and the spirit of God is real, in the life of people, and the church? And what if, my good friend John Franke, a name some of you may know, he's a postmodern theologian, very bright guy. He wrote this book, Manifold Witness, which is riffing off of that hymn that has that line, Manifold Witness, and I forgot what it is, Great is Thy Faithfulness. Anyway, He says, what if God likes diversity, right? I mean, what if that's actually true? What if there isn't just one way of thinking about being Christian? What if God actually likes diversity? And I thought, I said, yeah, well, I hope God likes diversity because all I see is diversity all around me, you know? Diachronic and synchronic diversity, diachronic over time. Christians have been arguing since the beginning differences of opinion, in this room, <laughs> and across the world synchronically right now, there's diversity. You know, the thing that really struck me, the, the earliest Christian documents we have are probably First Thessalonians, Galatians, and James. Probably. I mean, there's, there's some debate, but probably coming from like the 40s, 20 years before the Gospels were written. And almost out of the shoot, it's like Peter and Paul hate each other. Read Galatians. They're not getting along. And they have a fundamental problem about something fundamental with the gospel, namely what to do with Gentiles. And I'm convinced James didn't like Paul at all. Right? Paul's all about grace, not works. And what does James say? Hey man, show me, show me you know, your. your you know, grace apart from works, I'll show you grace, you know, faith rather, by my works, right? So they have. A, they seem to have a fundamental difference of opinion. You know, we, we've always been disagreeing in this Christian faith. It's actually quite normal. But at root, if we're taught to think a certain way about the nature of God and the nature of the gospel, where you have one answer and everything has to line up a certain way, and then you do what, the Sunday school teachers have been telling you since you were little, which is you got to read your Bible every day. Okay. Chapter 1 of Genesis. I don't think this happened. <laughs> chapter 2. <laughs> chapter 2 contradicts Chapter 1. The order is different, right? And then by Chapter 6, God is so mad everybody dies. So... <laughs> What, you know, reading the Bible itself is, and again, I think this is God smiling down at our senses of certainty, Um, the Bible itself pushes us towards communing with God differently than simply through our ability to comprehend or understand. And I think this is where this whole idea of subjectivity comes in, right, right? Do I think God ordered the Israelites to kill all the Canaanites? And my answer is no. I don't think that God... I know it's in the Bible. I know it's in the Bible. That's not the point. I don't think that happened. There are a lot of academic reasons, but also I just... I don't think God is like that. Why do I say that? In part because of my experience and also the experience of people in my tradition and people that I know and lives that I know that have been touched by God, Right? So, you know, it's just the, the Bible can sometimes cause trouble for us. And, and then the, the sense of, of, of struggling and having your faith derailed or unraveled, that becomes pretty common, you know. I mean, most of you raised your hand before you've had a moment or, you know, a season of your life, you know. I mean, I'm an agnostic like four times a week, you know, and I can't help it. You know what? And I'm banking on God gets that, right? Because I have got this left-brain German thing going on in me, and I just don't know what else to do when I'm an academic, and I'm always questioning. And I happen to have picked a field, which is the foundation of my life, so I get to question that. You know, nobody warned me. <laughs> nobody said, "Don't do that, Pete." Yeah. Um, but it's normal. You know, it's it's actually to be expected to struggle with faith, and all it takes is to have your eyes and ears open, right? Graduate school, you know, I learned a lot of things in graduate school about looking at the Bible differently, but the biggest challenge for me was people. People from literally different parts of the world, some Israeli Jews. Uh, Two of my teachers were Orthodox Jewish, James Kugel and John Levinson, if those names ring a bell to any of you who are just beautiful, amazing people who basically had the Old Testament memorized in Hebrew, putting my evangelical friends to shame, you know, who don't do that. Um, but it's engaging people who think so differently than I have been taught to think, right? And who are some of the nicest people ever. Nicer than some Christians that I've known. Nicer than I've been to other people, right? So that gets you thinking about, okay, well, what's God going to do with them? <laughs> you know, they're on the wrong side of the ledger because they don't have the Jesus part, right? And then you start struggling. I mean, like, my faith made so much sense when you had, like like Jen said, those binaries, those two sides, and that's it, Right? So for me, it was just sort of being a part of that and 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 experiencing that, and asking myself the question—the very fundamental question: What is God like? (laughs) You know, is it really a matter of being on one side or the other, and can you get past the bouncer at you know St. Peter's pearly gates and all that kind of stuff? Right? Is that is that what this is really about? And what is God doing in the world around us? Is it just about people like me who are inside, and everybody else is outsiders? Right? Oh, big thing. Oh, I I talk about this in The Sin... By the way, who... I hate to ask this question. Who's read The Sin of Certainty? A few of you. Okay, I hate to ask that because it sounds really arrogant. Um, Because I don't care if you've read it. Have you bought it? That's the question. How many... Hands up. Hands up. Oh, my goodness gracious. Okay, there it is. Okay, put it down, I got it, I got it. Um, anyway, where was I going with this? Oh, yeah. Um, I t- my daughter, I, t- I talk about my daughter in that book with her permission. She's now 27. And when she got to be about eight years old, this, the one extrovert in my family, I have three kids, my wife and I have three kids, the one extrovert. I'm a serious introvert. Um, she became depressed and anxious all at the same time at the age of eight. And we were trying to get help for her. And eventually it wound up that she had to leave the house for, like, when she was in high school. She had to live elsewhere for about 18 months. It was, it was a very hard time. But I remember when she was early on in her in getting therapy, and she started taking Paxil. Any Paxil people out there? So, hey, raise your hand. It's cool, man. I take Paxil right now. I'm a six, by the way. And the end... My life is fear. I do that so well. Yes, thank you so much. You know? um, but anyway, she, she started taking Paxil, and within a week, she was a different person, which is quick, right? She hated God. She couldn't do anything. She had no energy. She was listless. She was afraid she wouldn't leave her room. Within a week, she's back at school. She's going to church. She loves God again, this and this. And that got me thinking that was, see that was a moment, those, these "uh-oh moments that we have in life where you know the, the plan is not working like it should. you know the, the, Christianity deviates from the pamphlet we've been giving these 10 points. this is how it all works out, right But I began to think of anthropology. what, what is humanity? and it, are we, like some people say, just a mass of chemicals that can be manipulated and so you can love God again? And again, the question then is What is God like, right? Yeah, all you gotta have kids, that's all you gotta do. I mean, frankly, or be one yourself. (laughs) Um, So, you know, and the other thing, I mean, for me, and again, this probably, I think, resonates, and some of you were sort of hinting at this, but another thing that sort of makes doubt for people like me, and, and a lot of you, I'm sure, too, a normal, almost inescapable thing, is I just gotta say, it's science, right? I mean, and that's just evolution and stuff like that, although that's certainly true, but um, the universe is very big, right? I don't know if you've noticed, but it's it just sort of keeps going out there, right? And, you know, like Psalm 19, is it, uh, David? You know, um, the heavens declare the glory of the Lord. Look at the stars. They're so nice up there. Aren't they beautiful? Yeah, David, you have a dome over you, okay? And the stars are sort of planted in there, and, you know, the sun rises and sets, and it's right up there, and slightly above the dome is where God's throne is. And that, that's your mentality. But for, you know, for us, you know, Carl Sagan, right? The pale blue dot, that's our earth, and it's so big, and and there are billions billions and billions of, of galaxies and billions of stars in each of them, and it frankly freaks me out. <laughs> because what kind of a God are we talking about here? Who loves us? What does, what does that even mean? I mean, I'm not trying to cause a faith crisis here. I'm just, like, these are, like, normal kinds of things. Uh, oh, yeah, too late, I know. Hey, hey it's what I do, you know? I could pay good money for this, anyway. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it's, it's uh, what's his name, a philosopher, 17th century, Pascal, that's a Blaise Pascal. He says, the infinite silence of the eternal spaces, no, the eternal silence, listen to this, the eternal silence of the infinite spaces frightens me. Here's a guy struggling with his faith in the 17th century when Galileo and Copernicus couldn't keep their eyes out of a telescope and people who could do math and figuring out things like orbits of planets and stuff like that. And this is is a modern faith crisis. We have things we deal with that other people have never had to deal with. Right? Age of the Earth, age of the universe, all that kind of stuff. So, I mean, my point is that it's just, it's absolutely, it's normal. It's inevitable. I mean, how... How can you ever be criticized in church for not really being sure what you believe in right now? How can you possibly be criticized for that? How can you not have these moments or periods in your life when it's like, I just don't see it right now? And if you've learned, maybe relearned this path of faith, where certainty is not the goal, Sometimes, do you ever feel certain about your faith? I I do sometimes. I mean, not all. I I wish it would happen more often. But, you know, I certainly, there's nothing wrong with feeling certain. But the thing is that when you don't, what kind of a structure, what kind of a scaffolding of faith has been built for you through influences, through parents maybe, unfortunately, or through churches, where if it's not all fitting, there's something deeply wrong with you. When, in fact, I want to say, no, it's, it's, it's very normal. In fact, it's actually biblical. That's the thing that always, I mean, when you start reading the Bible, you know, camp out in the Psalms for a while. I remember when my, uh, my other daughter, I like talking about my kids, it's payback publicly, but uh, my youngest daughter, is now 24, and when she was 16, um, I know this is going to be hard to accept, hard for you to hear but uh, when she was 16 she did not worship the ground that I walked on she was a jerk she really really was and she like wouldn't talk to me you know and she wouldn't like friend me on Facebook and then she did and then she unfriended me for no reason whatsoever right so okay anyway we're like not talking for like weeks and then we happen to come out of our bedrooms at the same time and I was thrown the hallway and I said like hey, Sophie just like what's going on here you know what what what's what's happening <laughs> she just goes she stops for a second looks me right in the eye and she goes I don't like you and went down <laughs> the steps right <laughs> so I'm like <laughs> you know um, so anyway, I, I mean, this, this is like 10, 12 years ago now. And um, I remember talking to a guy who had weathered some storms with his own kids and was 10, 12 years older than I was. And I said, you know, I just told him what happened. And he, I said, you know, I don't know it's horrible. I don't know, I don't know what's going on. And he said, good for you. So what do you mean good for you? He said, you have to understand your daughter trusted you enough to say that to you, knowing that you wouldn't like kick her out the door or hate her for it. So good job. And I'm like, all right. (laughs) I am an awesome parent. Um, But you see, the thing is that I, I, I just, maybe I wanna, you know, we have a few minutes here. I just wanna leave you with a couple of thoughts with the Bible itself. I think the Bible is an amazingly honest book and if you want people who are not having a good day, read the book of Ecclesiastes, which is one of my favorite books of the Old Testament. The guy's totally depressed, <laughs> right? Or the book of Job, right? I mean, obviously, this, is, this guy is not doing well. And and that's a question like, what kind of a God is this, right? And that, by the, you, know, you know how the book starts, right? The accuser um, called... S-A-T-A-N, Satan, that's the Hebrew word, but this is not like the king of the underworld. This is like a member of the heavenly court who, who plays the role of like almost a prosecuting attorney and is accusing Job and saying, listen, the only reason Job is like worshiping you and praising you is because he's got stuff. Take this stuff away and see what happens, Right. And God says, yeah, I'll take that bet. Let's see how he does. Let's kill his children and take away his livestock. Right? The thing is that you read that and say, this God is horrific. I think that's part of the point of the book of Job is to make you think that that kind of a God is actually horrific. Right? So it's not portraying God's really like this. It's like you're supposed to read this critically and engage it even emotionally, dare I say, subjectively. Right? So, I mean, Job is not having a good day. And for me, I just I love the lament psalms. You know, and there are a lot of them. You know, there are 150 psalms. Almost half of, one, half of them, something's not going well, right? Um, psalm 44, for example, is, is one of my favorite psalms. And basically, it goes like this. We really need your help right now. We've heard all these stories about back in the old days, you came to people's help, but we need your help now, but you're not doing it. And you get towards the end of the psalm, and it's like, you know, translations are sort of nice to say, awaken, O Lord. And well, it's, just, it's basically wake up. You're sleeping, right? How many of us have ever felt God is sleeping in our lives and just isn't even there functionally, right? That's an old idea, right? What I like is the fact that the ancient Judahites, long after the exile, a couple hundred years before Christ, maybe a little bit earlier, who compiled this book of Psalms that we know, and they edited them, and they made choices about which ones to keep and which ones not to keep. They kept Psalms like Psalm 44, because it expresses authentic faith. It, it expresses an authentic life of faith, which is oftentimes struggle. Um, Psalm, 80, Psalm 73, it's all about, um, Lord, I know how this is supposed to work. You're supposed to reward the faithful and punish the wicked, but the faithful have all the the wicked have all the stuff, and here I am being faithful, and I have a very difficult life, and it's not getting any better. And the basic question he asks is: Is this all worth it? Right? You have that stuff in the Bible. Psalm eighty-eight, the darkest psalm in the Old Testament. It's it doesn't even there's nothing good in this at all. It, you know, you've abandoned me. My friends have abandoned me. Everybody's against me. And the psalm ends. Darkness is my only friend, right? which is like okay. Next psalm, you know, <laughs> like that's good. That's our reading for the week. Any questions, kids, on that one? No. Okay. Do you ever feel picked on? Is it? No, it's not like that. Um, let's apply this to your life. No, 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 no. This is an adult psalm. You do not apply this to children's lives. Um, and then right after that, Psalm 88 and 89 are sort of a one-two punch. I love Psalm 89. Psalm 89 basically calls God a liar, right? It's a long psalm, and it's read in liturgies because it starts off so positively. Oh, Lord, you are unbelievably awesome. You're just the best. You know why? Because you're faithful, and you never turn back on your promises, and you can just be counted on. You're just the best, and you know what else? You created the cosmos. You're the creator. So you can do anything. And it goes on like this, like 30-something verses. It gets actually monotonous. And when you get towards the end of the psalm, you realize why. He's been setting God up. <laughs> He's been buttering God up. And I, I just, you know, I love when I see sarcasm in the Bible, because that's my love language. And it's just like, it's, it's there. It's like, oh, Lord. you know. And oh, by the way, you promised David, who's like the best king. And so thank you for giving him to us, by the way. But he raped but We're going to leave that out anyway. But, um, you know, you're, you're just so fantastic. And and you chose David to be the king. Oh, you promised. Oh, this is one of your great promises, O oh Lord. You promised that a descendant of David would never cease sitting on the throne. So praise you, Lord. This is fantastic. Oh, by the way, Lord... Um, the exile. Let's talk about the exile because what happened at the exile is that at this is all in like Second Kings, those books you never read. Second Kings, about this king was horrible. Next one, this king was horrible. Okay, um, but uh, you know, at, in Second Kings, the story goes that the last king of Judah, the Southern Kingdom, um, was taken away captive to Babylon, blinded, but not before he saw his sons killed by Nebuchadnezzar the Babylonian king. Right. So basically in effect that ended the line of David. And now they're going into exile in Babylon and guess what they don't have in Babylon? They don't have land, which is like a big issue in the Old Testament. They don't have a temple. They don't even really have God because God lives in Canaan where that temple was, right? That's why Ezekiel talks about the wheel spinning. God's on the move. Ezekiel's very big on God actually comes to visit them in Babylon. He can't be stationed in one place, right? But but the point is that, you know, everything has fallen apart. The, The stuff that is supposed to be the sign of God's presence, land and temple and king and priests, all that stuff has just been flushed down the toilet. So the psalmist says, How long, O Lord will you forget us forever? And you said something would happen. You said something would be consistent, but it's not. So how about some answers? And Psalm 89 doesn't really answer it either, right? I, again, I, I just I think it's marvelous and beautiful that um, the Bible is more honest about the nature of faith than most of us have been raised as Christians. Because it's all, I mean, my students say this to me too. Me too. They they love this stuff because it sort of affirms where they are. And they say, my church has lied to me my whole life. And I always tell them the same thing is that they haven't lied to you. They did the best that they, I mean, I'll put it this way. I don't say it to them like this, but they did the best they could sociologically with how their tribes work. They did the best that they could, but you didn't have to stay there either. Because they were more concerned with making sure you were good citizens staying within the lines rather than exploring your faith, right? And I think the Bible gives us permission to explore our faith. I think Judaism, I talk about this a lot too. one of my pet topics, Judaism has a better handle on the nature of debate and dialogue and differences of opinion because it's not as doctrinally based as Christianity is. It does have doctrine in it, but it's not, that's not the core of, the core of who, Jews are, you know, ancient Judaism, Old Testament, are two mountains, Sinai and Zion, or the Temple. Sinai law, how to behave, how to act, how to live. Sinai, that law, law of Moses. Uh, Zion, the Temple worship. See, they're defined by practice, which is a lot has to do with worship. Christians have been. Not since the beginning, but definitely beginning in the second and third century, Christians have been more defined by what we believe, right? And that's why we can't handle ambiguity very well, because you have to get the story right. You know? uh, one of my Jewish professors says that um, the difference between Jews and Christians is, for Jews, the Bible is a problem to be solved. For Christians, it's a message to be proclaimed, and then you have to have a consistent message, right? You can't have ambiguities or contradictions and things like that, right? Which sort of, again, freaks you out once you start reading the Bible. <laughs> you know? Yeah, read the Bible, but make sure you come up with the right answer. And by the way, we will let you know whether you do or don't, right? Um, well, how are we doing the Reva? Nine minutes. Okay. Okay. Um, <laughs> Okay, so, I mean, let me put it this way. I think this, this life of struggle and doubt and working through and working out your faith, it's, first of all, it is unavoidable. I think it's biblical. I also think it's beneficial. It does something for us that the good times don't do. Um, Samuel Rutherford is a Puritan uh, theologian and he had this little phrase I heard in seminary first. He said, grace grows best in winter. And I like that. You know, and it's true because that's when you have to depend on God. You have to rely on God because you can't rely on your own head. Right? And for people like me, that's one of the biggest lessons I've had to learn um, of not living in my head. I like it there. I like living in my head. I know so much. Until your kids become teenagers, and then you don't know any, and then always you know, or just whatever happens, right? Life just happens. Um, when, I mean, I, I'll you know, I'll I'll leave with this. This is something. This is a story that I tell a lot, and I'll be very brief here, but it means a lot to me. And it's one of these times when I was sort of at home in my basement office, just on the internet and looking, I'm searching for something, and I came across this wonderful story that hit me like a two by four in the back of the head. It was with, of course, Mother Teresa, who you know, hits a lot of people with two by fours, I think, when you start reading her. And um, basically, it was a story of John Kavanaugh. John Kavanaugh was a philosopher and a theologian at St. Louis University, Roman Catholic school. And uh, this is like in the mid 70s, 1975, and he was having his own crisis of meaning and crisis of faith and doubting and those structures and categories were giving way and things didn't make sense anymore. So he goes, I know Mother Teresa will have the answer to this. So he goes to Calcutta to visit her and meets her and she goes, well, what can I do for you? And he says, you can pray for me. And she goes, well, what can I pray for? And he says, pray that I have clarity and she said no. <laughs> and he said, Why, you little? No, she didn't. He didn't do that. Um, I can imagine he might have felt like doing that. And he goes, Well, why not? It's sort of why I'm here. You know, why? Why not help me with clarity? And she said this because clarity is the last thing you are holding on to and must let go of. And you know, people have different energies around those kind of, uh, kind of ideas, but for me, sitting there, um, reading this all by myself, I remember thinking to myself, okay, I've been doing it wrong. <laughs> you know, it, it, it's not about having the clarity. It's about letting go of the need to have clarity, which is not how most of us are taught to be Christian. Um, And then he said, you know, he said, well, you've got tons of clarity. And she just, and a lot of you know her story, she just laughed. She goes, I haven't had clarity most of my life, but I have had trust. So I will pray that you trust God. And that's the first time I ever heard in my life that you can actually work on trusting God whatever that means for you, because it means different things for different people, trusting Him with different things, right? But you can actually trust God and not be all that sure about things and still have questions. And I, I find that to be immeasurably comfor- comforting and also again, entirely biblical. Right? And I, I just think, our, our, this is actually an interesting faith. Once you start digging down into it, it's not a silly bunch of children's stories. It's actually getting into the deep issues of existence and meaning and all that sort of stuff.